grace to you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In an age that we live of algorithms, programs, and computers, life can appear simply to be a measurement. Mark this, calculate that, and so on and so forth. Yet life is, when you think about it, more like playing the odds. When a doctor gives a diagnosis and possible treatment, he or she never gives a 100% guarantee or your money back. When a person gambles at a casino or buys a lottery ticket or whatever other ways, the odds, you know this, are not in your favor. So let's be clear, there's no sore losers. When pondering existence, first figuring the likelihood of my conception is a mystery beyond certainly my own decision and even that of my own parents. You see, probability will always leave questions. And even science makes room for that probability. I mean, come on, get real. That's why they call it the margin of error. Life as numbers eventually is a this, a zero-sum number, especially before sin, death, and the devil. And so, thank God, Christ did not come into the world having to place a bet on our salvation. The Father was not doubling down on the sacrifice made by his Son. Jesus has secured permanence by his death and resurrection, unknown to anything else in this sinful world. It only comes from him and stands on him. Of course, Christianity, you too know, is not like other religions that the Roman world had at that time or even as we think of religions today. Christianity never had a chance because it had nothing to do with the numbers. Jesus rendered victory out of the cross, and this alone gave life to the church. As we heard today from Acts, among all the women that were gathered for prayer down at the river, Lydia, one, those there who the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. One. Numbers are never good enough by God's standard. Only certainty in Jesus, then, lets us pray in the name of him who has overcome the world. Christ has opened the way to pray the disciples, you know this, were already familiar with prayer. This wasn't a new, a new thing for them. They were faithful Jews and understood its place as given by the Old Testament. It was a calling out to God like Abraham did for a firstborn son. Like Moses over the people of Israel. Samson, as he's hanging there, betraying God and calls out to God, let me have one last thing to do to honor you, O Lord. You know how that story goes. It's like the praying of the priests and the people in the temple. The book of Psalms are prayers 
crafted by the saints of old. So today when we have prayer of the church, that's, that's part of the prayer service, but it's the whole service, really. It was the Kyrie we had prayer today in. It was the introit that was the prayer. I mean, you heard what was said, right? And the introit, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress or complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. That is prayer, evening, morning, noon. Outside of the Old Testament, though, the disciples learned the Lord's Prayer from Jesus. On the, the last night in the upper room, which is our text today, you hear, prayer went another direction. The Lord stated, Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, during the ministry of Jesus, they always turned to Jesus and asked him, didn't they? Lord, help us, we're on the water. And Jesus quieted it for them. Jesus is always there. Only now, on the night he was betrayed before that dark cross, his name would grant access in praying directly to the Father in his name. Plenty of religions pray. It's not a Christian monopoly here. It can be facing the holy city of Mecca for Muslims. It can be the wailing wall they call it for the Jews in Jerusalem, part of the temple that's still standing. Easter religions, pretty popular in America, have less than prayer, but more self-meditation. That's why yoga is so popular. Christians pray, not to a place, or even from yourself, but from and in the person of Jesus Christ. Since he rose from the dead, his name directs sinners to nothing else than the Father in heaven. As God's Son declared, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So his sacrifice made for sinners opened the certainty of being heard by God. And so it's not a formula you tag on, it's so common. In Jesus' name, amen. Instead, praying in his name draws us by the word, his word particularly, into the Holy Trinity, where our greatest joy is to know and call upon God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to ask because baptism into him is not a dead redemption by water in the word. All spiritual and physical requests can be made because the Father himself, Jesus says, loves you because you love me and have believed that I came from God. And yet Christ also knows this, our lack of confidence to pray in his name. The disciples acted as if they could handle boasting of their faith in him. Only we hear in the next verse after they're talking about, ah, we believe and we know no one can contradict you and you know all things, which was true. But then Jesus says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and you'll leave me alone. 
And so later that night, as you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed in view of his own suffering and death, in view of his own scattering of the sheep. And he returned to his disciples. And what were they doing? Sleeping. And the word came, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's basically telling him, you're still playing in your name. You're still praying for your name and wants and glory, not my name and glory. Of course, when the time came for what would be his great great gift of love, the disciples did exactly what Jesus said. They showed their lack of faith in him by fleeing the cross. None could bet on this place of death as a promise of life. None saw a future for them in Jesus' name. And so Christ knows our lack of confidence. And surely we're just as uncertain as the disciples if predicting the future rests on our works without remembering Christ in his word. These distressing times seem to be up for grabs and even going downhill. A former district president of our synod reflected on the same concern during his time of decay and distress. Here's what he said. True, beloved brothers, when we consider all this, then we must rightly be gripped with fear. Indeed, we must tremble and completely despair in our own power and our capabilities. It's good for us to despair of ourselves, recognizing our wretchedness and humble ourselves before God, but then lift up our eyes to the hills from whence comes our help. Psalm 121. And guess what? That's a reference to prayer. This came from a pastor, Friedrich Fotenhauer, in 1897, at the 50th anniversary of the LCMS. The fear and threats today loom large at the present, and I only wonder what that pastor would say of over what we have to bear in our time before the Lord in prayer and yet praise to his faithfulness. Jesus said nothing was to look good before his cross. You're still before his cross because he is the crucified Lord who are waiting to come again in glory. And so as we know, he promised, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Prayer in and of itself is not even safe. Just because we want to pray just because we want to do more with prayer, may be good, but it can also be very bad because if it places the weight on me, it can go off very quickly in the wrong direction. I prayed so much, but my prayer wasn't answered. I prayed so much with my heart, but, but God doesn't, doesn't hear my pain. There's lots of dangers with prayer when it's focused on the self and not with the word in Christ alone, in his name. In other words, it can lack confidence. This is why certainty rests with Jesus, for he gives faith to call upon his Father in his name. 
And that's the name you can pray in because that's the name that was placed upon you in your baptism. And so only Christ gives peace with confidence to pray in his name. The disciples did not realize this, but they would have what they needed. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That Greek word for take heart, it's a command, but it also can be translated cheer up, take courage. Of course, this was to be in what Jesus said and finally did. St. John the Apostle would later proclaim in 1 John chapter 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is why we can pray even before a blessed Christian who dies. Because it's before our Lord who cares for his sheep, before a faithful father who cares for our family, made out of baptism, not by our works. It's no small matter to cling to Jesus and his word. He is greater than sin, death, the devil, the law, works, and even me and you. That's why we celebrate Easter as a complete season, reminding ourselves again, Christ is risen. You've got to keep that in your mind or your prayers will go stale. They will go in the wrong direction. But in his name, it's a living name. You see, by standing in our place on the cross, it means, G means calling upon Jesus' name is for every spiritual and physical need. Forgiveness, life, and salvation dwell in no better rest given by our Father. No better way to be able to say, thy will be done. When God's greatest will before your life is not merely what you ask. It's the will set before you in Jesus who has given you his son, who has willed salvation for you by his death and resurrection. The peace Jesus gives in his name does not leave us empty-handed. And so first, we're better off than the disciples because the Holy Spirit brought all truth necessary with the New Testament scriptures. Second, we're not scattered so much as if Jesus does not hear the cries of his sheep. So we pray together. But of course, we pray apart in our families and even individually before we go to sleep or when we rise or before we eat. All this is part of our family conversation with the Father. And so Luther writes this. There are two things that sustain Christendom, God's word and the prayers of Christians. Just as the Christian church is sustained through God's word in the ministry, so it's also sustained through the prayer of every individual Christian. The most powerful arsenal against playing the odds is God's standard. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He said it in the cross where no future seemed possible, though, didn't he? But it was from there Christ prayed. The great high priest, the one who still prays with us, we're not alone. Jesus prayed for all at his sacrifice. And so our risen Lord had 100% victory as promised, and he pleased with, and his pleas were heard by the Father. 
The baptized now breathe by this living word. It gives the peace Christ made and keeps the gospel before our lives. Prayer is not to control God. Let me say this again very clearly to American Christians and even German Lutherans. Prayer is not to control God. It's not to gang up on God. It is about our life before God with good news given in grace to us from Jesus. In exchange for the odds, it is with certainty of forgiveness we can pray in the name of him who has overcome the world. And so we, in all circumstances, overcome the peace of God which passes all understanding be with your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.